You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 24. Today, I'm sitting down with sports physical therapist, Dr. Sean Astorga of AMP Performance Rehab, talking all about how to manage training when your clients are in pain. Are you ready? Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services, and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. Welcome back to the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson, and I am bringing you another very powerful and awesome episode with my friend, Sean, from AMP Performance Rehab. Not sure if you checked out my Instagram the other day because I was talking about how it truly is my my pleasure and my privilege to have the opportunity to connect and bring to you people who truly are at the high end of their profession and at their level of skill. And what you're going to discover by the end of this podcast is that that's not coming from a place of ego and trying to be the best. It's just this constant need and drive to continuously get better and be better so that we can help our client. And what you'll discover by the end of this episode is how Dr. Sean specifically took a moment in his life that could, that completely changed the trajectory of where he was going. And this would have happened whether he decided to go down this place of of how this is happening to me, but instead he shares with us how this moment in his life actually brought us to the start of AMP Performance Rehab and just how powerful that moment, which could have been catastrophic for many people, but for him, it actually was a moment that changed the way he ran his business. He's going to be sharing that with us today. So we sat down and talked all about the ways that his company and his business model and his methodology and the way that he has transformed people's lives and how it really comes from this one particular moment and how it is different than the traditional medical treatment and the standard physical therapy treatment protocols and how and what and why he does it differently. But in this episode, you're going to have some big key takeaways that you can instantly implement in your own practice or your own strength and conditioning clients. Because Dr. Sean Astorga, he is the co-founder of AMP Performance Rehab. He is a sports physical therapist, and he has been an athlete his entire life. And he's been lucky to work with high-level athletes. 
including athletes from the National Football League, the World Figure Skating Championships, Olympic figure skating, Olympic weightlifting, Reebok CrossFit Games, Major League Soccer, UFC, and Cage Fury Fighting Championships, and the Jiu-Jitsu World League. He is well known for being able to take people who have tried everything from physical therapy, the chiropractor, orthopedic surgery, injections, creams, pains meds, YouTube exercises, and failed miserably, and being able to help people regain their physical freedom and return to an active lifestyle. Whether you are an accomplished athlete or you're you're a fitness enthusiast who loves to stay active. And you'll discover by the end of this episode how that happened. So I'm really looking forward to share this with you. So without further ado, let's roll that interview. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm doing well, Beverly. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is going to be such a good episode. I'm really looking forward to it. So why don't we just go ahead, dive right in. Tell us a little bit about who you are, who you serve, and how you got there. Uh, sure thing. So uh, my name is Sean Astorga. I am the owner of a company called Amp Performance Rehab in Northern New Jersey. Uh, we work with people who have struggled to find answers in the uh, current medical system for pain and injuries. So we tend to get a lot of people who uh, like to lift heavy weight in the gym. So we work with a lot of power lifters, a lot of strength athletes. Um, we also work with people who um, like to run really fast. So we work with a lot of marathon runners, half marathon runners who tend to have injuries and they kind of get involved in the, the medical system for these injuries, but can't find answers. So they end up kind of recurring and going on and on and on for a while. So we um, tend to help them find solutions that allow them to uh, get past their injury and keep training. That's awesome. How'd you get there? Um, that's a good question. So um, essentially, um, I mean, first, I've, I've been like an athlete my whole life. So I played basketball in high school and college, and I played football in high school. So I had uh, my fair share of injuries myself, um, which ultimately got me to obviously becoming a physical therapist. Um, but once you kind of go through physical therapy school and, you know, you start practicing and you see things don't really uh, make sense, or they didn't at least make sense to me, um, it, it kind of uh, changed my perspective on what I needed to do as a physical therapist. Um, and then in terms of AMP, you know, I had an injury a few years ago that really kind of changed my perspective on just general um, recovery and like the role that stress plays on a human being and how training essentially is stress. And I started to just frame things in that mindset of looking at how a person um, is kind of approaching their lifestyle. It doesn't really make sense when it comes to their training goals, and how their training doesn't always make sense when it comes to their training goals. So they end up getting injured. Um, and that's kind of what shaped what we do do at AMP right now. Um, I don't know how much detail, you know, I should go into about that, but. I was about to ask, you know, because I recognize, and for the record, for anyone who's listening, I'm totally putting them on the spot here. These are not like, I did not give them these questions before we started, but if you wouldn't mind, can you share a little more about what specifically, like what happened in that injury that caused you to kind of basically, because it sounds like that was the linchpin, for lack of a better word, that that was what transitioned and changed everything for you. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I don't mind talking about it. Um, I mean, the, the injury in hindsight is literally what pushed me to actually like start a company and like break away from what I didn't think was working. Um, but basically what happened was three years ago, I had a couple boxes fall on my head uh, when I was at work. Mm. And obviously I had a, a brain injury from that and I had a neck injury. 
Um, and when it happened, like I just got like a jolt of pain down my arm, but you know, within the first like five, 10 minutes, I thought everything was kind of fine. Uh, and then after that, I just kind of like took a nosedive and uh, like my health started to decline. I was going like from to different doctors and no one can really like explain to me what was happening. So a lot of the answers I was getting were just like, they weren't even answers. They were just basically telling me like, you know, this doesn't really make sense. This isn't what we would expect. But no one was telling me like what I should expect or why it didn't make sense. So I kind of got like very frustrated. Um, at the time I was training for half marathons. Um, and the same day that I got injured, I literally ran my fastest half marathon um, that I've run in my life. Um, and then later that day this happened and no one could tell me why like I wasn't able to um, like do basic things, you know, and why like it was like not recovering in the in the right way, uh, which is very frustrating because, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to get back to work and how to get back to doing all these things I want to do. And all I had were medical professionals telling me um, that things just weren't making sense, you know, so I didn't really have any direction or guidance or anything along those lines, um, which was super frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Were you a PT at this point? I was a PT at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably like four years into my career or so it actually happened while I was at work, you know, getting ready to treat patients. And I, that's how I found out that something wasn't right because right when it happened, the box saw on my head and I had a semi-pro rugby player coming in. And when I was talking to him, I was kind of like forgetting what he was telling me. Mm. And then I went to show him like a warm up, and I went to show him uh, like a single leg deadlift and I lost my balance. And then like the room started spinning. So I got like crazy very fast. So <laughs> But I wasn't too key to answer your original question. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that must have been, you know, doubly, doubly frustrating because one, you've been an athlete your whole life. You've just run this fastest, this fast marathon. And two, you're a PT and that feeling of like, why can't I figure this out? Or why can't other people figure this out for me? That must have been just so mentally soul crushing. Soul crushing, like draining. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would just like literally spend days cause I couldn't, I couldn't do stuff. Right. I couldn't go out. I couldn't like, you know, like walk to my mailbox without getting like ridiculously busy and feeling like uncomfortable being outside. So I would just literally sit here and like try to like rationalize why things were happening in my head. And I couldn't, um, for a while at least. And then, you know, stuff started to make sense, but. So then what happened? So then how did you go from that to where you are now? Uh, yeah. So, um, like long journey, um, we'll say like the first 10 months after the injury, um, I was out of work. Um, I was essentially kind of getting spun around the medical system, going to different, uh, professionals and different specialists, you know, for some of the issues that I was having, uh, whether it was vestibular, visual, um, all these different things. And that really just wasn't working for me. Uh, and then one day I heard, um, Ben house talk on a podcast about prolonged concussion symptoms um, like, uh, low testosterone and people who have prolonged concussion uh, symptoms, things like, uh, related to stress and how that, you know, obviously, you know, unregulated stress and how that affects people. Um, so I just honestly just emailed him and was like, Hey man, like I heard you talk on this podcast. Uh, you basically described me, uh, do you think you can help me? And we got on a call just like we're doing right now over zoom. Like the guy lived in another country at the time. And, um, he kind of gave me the tools that I needed to, to figure things out. And it was really like the, the way that he approached helping me uh, was something that I hadn't seen in the medical world. And it's really the way, reason that we do things at AMP now the way that we do them is because of how I felt 
like how impactful I felt the, the sessions that I had with him were and the way that he, he managed, you know, my, my case. That's amazing. And so once you started working with Dr. House, what was the, um, you know, and I know you said it was a long journey, but what were, did you notice that you were recovering quickly? Like, were you having exponential response, you know, responses to what he was saying? Like, what were some of the things that he did that were, or that, you know, you guys have come up with together? Cause I know it was collaborative. What would you say were, were different? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the results, honestly, like they were, they were pretty insane. Like in three days, two days, three days, I was able to do a lot of the things I wasn't able to do before. Um, and a lot of it came down to like, you know, one of the first things we did in the process was uh, just understand like my blood chemistry. Um, so, you know, I got blood work done and a lot of the things that showed up in my blood work were something you would expect in just like an under recovered athlete, right. Or an under recovered individual. Like I had like, like lower, like white blood cell counts than you would expect in like a healthy person or lower, like, like testosterone levels in a person who was healthy. Um, so essentially all we, we really did was just take a look at like my lifestyle now and the things that I was doing and figure out how to give them to me. You know, mm-hmm. honestly, I think the majority of what helped me in the short term was uh, bumping up like the, the types of calories I was eating. Like we literally doubled how much food I was eating. And I, I just really think that I didn't have uh, energy available to me to both recover and like meet the demands of just like the basic tasks that I do on a daily basis. Um, so those types of things are really like what we did. And then obviously like he's, you know, he approaches things the way that I kind of look at them too, is, is like, I have specific goals that I want to accomplish. Like training is something that's important to me. So like, how can we get me to a point where I can't really train at the level I want to, how can we get me doing something that resembles training so that I can at least start building my base up? Because essentially what I think happened to me, and I, this is what I think happens to a lot of people who struggle with, with pain for a while is, you know, they, the medical system detrains people right it deconditions people because their knee-jerk reaction is um this person has something that hurts so let me just take them away from what's hurting them so that it feels better but then they go back to doing whatever it was right if it's running right they go back to running after not running and they get the same injuries over and over again so essentially they just are detrained and that's kind of what happened to me i had 10 months of my life where i went from being at like my peak level of activity to being able or like struggling to like get off the couch and like go get the mail from the mailbox like insane and then like that's really what i think happened so he just really found helped me find where i'm at and gave me an actionable plan to build my base up to a level that was you know where i'm at at today so that's incredible and so what i'm also hearing you say too is something that you know i I definitely want to go deeper on is that you know the medical system and the way that it's set up is is to basically remove the stressor or the perceived stressor from what's causing the pain. And what essentially you're saying is, no, we need to add stress, but we need to add an appropriate amount of stress to increase that base level. How does someone determine whether, you know, determine a level of stress of like, oh, that's a good amount. This is going to help versus, you know, perpetuating the pain. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah, um, go into that too because I think a lot of yeah, typically yeah. or clinicians too, they might even be, be you know might be like, yes, I'm on board with this, but it can be scary to approach it. So how is it that you can you know conceptualize that approach? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the first thing I try to um, understand, right, and it comes down to like how you assess a person, right? 
so I have like my, my general assessments that like I use and the other therapists and coaches who see people through AMP use um, to kind of identify um, where a person might be restricted in mobility in their body. And how from that point, we have to, to relate it to the activities that they're trying to do. You know, so um, most people where they, they struggle, especially in like a training situation is that they just don't have the right activities to um, get them towards, towards their goal. So with an assessment and the way we look at things is we try to identify where that gap might be and so we can fill it. Um, in terms of a person, like I, I always try to help them try to appreciate the amount of volume, for example, of the activity that they're trying to do that um, allows them to, to, to feel pretty good and not have pain because that is almost like their baseline, right? And then we can from there figure out a way to, to push that level higher and higher. I see. So, okay. I see. So it, it comes down to the assessment, essentially. Yeah, it comes down to the assessment and understanding where a person is at currently, too, right? Like, we need to be able to, I look at my role is, is helping a person bridge the gap from where they are being injured and whatever their performance-related goal is. Performance meaning, like, it could literally mean, like, not have knee pain when I walk to the bathroom. Or it could be, like, I need to play a sport. Um, there's, some, there's something that, that is... Um, contributing to why they're not able to do that now. And I look at it as my assessment needs to help me figure out like what it is in the way their body moves that is likely contributing to the, the situation that they're, that they're in so that I can then help them address it through you know, appropriate, whether it's exercise selection or lifestyle modification or usually some combination of the, the two. So now one of the things that I am curious is how do you create client buy-in and manage fear? And so what I mean specifically about that is I feel based on what you've been saying and based on your experience, undoubtedly there's going to be people that come to you that have tried everything. They've been in 10 months of recovery. They're still in pain. So, and they can't, you know, uncover the reasons or what to do to get out of it. So inevitably there's got to be some sense of, you know, worry or fear around, is this going to work? And is this going to help me or, or hurt me? How do you navigate that? Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's, that's a struggle um, for, for, for me. But it's something that, um, you know, I think first it's, it's kind of meeting the person where they're at and understanding um, kind of their journey and what they've been through. Um, and explaining not, you know, I don't like to, to say that other medical professionals were wrong because I don't want to like to paint that picture. Um, but helping a person to appreciate that there's, there's kind of more out there, right. Than like, um, your back hurts and you've been doing these same things for so long and it didn't work. So what makes you think that, you know, keeping continuing to do these things is going to be helpful. Right. Usually like people, honestly, by the time they come to us, they're, they're like, you know, it didn't make sense that I was doing like this stretch for six months and I wasn't getting better. And I just continued to do the same stretch. They kind of intuitively understand that. Um, so I usually just try to, to, to bring that out without, you know, sounding like a jerk or, you know, um, <laughs> you know, like calling out another, another medical professional. Cause that's not my job. That's just going to add confusion to the situation, you know? Um, but usually if someone reaches out to us, they, they realize that something is not going in the right direction and that something different needs to happen. Um, I don't know if that answers that question. Um, 
Yeah, no, it does. It's just typically, you know, and I hear what you're saying too, because when we're dealing with other medical professions and, you know, and other PTs, you know, we're dealing with two things. People are just doing the best that they can with what they know. And then you also have that ego element and nobody wants to, you know, some, you either got the types of people that are like, there's more out there. I can get better. I can, you know, sharpen the saw or, you know, good is good enough. And they don't need to, you know, they feel like, okay, I've already done PT school and that's it that's it. And I'm fine. And everyone, you know, some people get better and some people don't. So I feel like there's just, you know, it can be, it can be hard to navigate it based on what, where people are in terms of the actual professional. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true too. And uh, managing um, like egos and like, listen, we all have ego, right? I have my biases and I'm wrong all the time, you know, but what, what, what helps me is to, um, to, to appreciate, obviously accept that that's a fact, right? And appreciate that someone might have answers that I don't have, you know, and, and knowing that, that that's the reality. Um, but like, I always just try to make sure that, you know, the way that I communicate to a person um, is at a level that obviously they can understand and is not really, I don't want, like the last thing I want to do is put negative thoughts about um, like their journey so far and how they've gotten to this, to the point that they're at. Because if I start like, saying like listen this clinician did they did the best they could with you but their knowledge base just wasn't where it needed to be to get you to the next level like that's going to put some doubt in that person's head um and that's kind of what i experienced as a, as a patient myself you know and i was just like you know i went through this weird journey where i was like man i wasted like 10 months of my life but ultimately those 10 months of my life got me to meeting ben right and then got me to the next person and got me to the next person you know so um like that had to happen for me to come to the realization you know, so I just try to, to, to help other people realize that, you know, listen, like things happen for a reason and you're here now. So this is what we need to do to move forward. Um, you know, the other thing that I find too, and this might just be my bias, but people don't realize that when you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with training, like all these things are very nonlinear. There's a ton of gray that is involved with it. It's not black and white, right? So when like I hear people's stories and they're, they're confused about why like I had this MRI and I have like this, like an L5 S1 disc herniation. Why does this person tell me I need to do all these things because I have this type of injury. And now I come here, you're telling me something different and what you're telling me is helping. Like, I just can't bridge that gap. You know why that makes sense to me, you know? And I think like so much, you know, we, we rely so much as a medical community on like these medical diagnoses and like these, uh, like pathoanatomical injuries and like waiting for like what an MRI tells us that it, it just gets confusing for a patient and, and they, they can't rationalize in their head, right? Like why, why do, do I have this certain injury and I'm doing two different things? One's helping, one's not. This thing that's supposed to help me is not helping me because, you know, for whatever reason, like I think like helping to bridge that gap is, is, is pretty important for, for the buy-in. Um, but at the same time, showing them that these things are like going to give you a meaningful impact on your situation, like it's usually enough to, to get a person to be like, okay, this is different and it's kind of what I need right now. Mm, so good. So, you know, I, I, I get that and I love, like, I live my life by that knowing that everything is happening for me and it's for my greatest good. I'm either getting the success that I want or the lesson that I need. So I definitely get that. But, you know, where do you think and why do, you know, where do you think the medical profession and the PT profession goes wrong for people? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and again, this is my experience. I think I'm not like trying to judge or criticize in a negative way. Um, but 
Um, I think that a lot of times, you know, we ignore obvious questions um, and we ignore obvious things. So what I mean by that, like if someone has like a training related injury, like to me, it makes sense to teach them how to do the thing that's causing them to get injured in a correct way so that they don't get injured and they can keep doing that. But most people look at things like, oh, this person is coming to me, they're a like back patient. So let me treat them for like how I would treat a back patient. Like I'm going to give them all the same stretches. I'm going to give them all the same, whatever, you know, it is. And I'm ignoring the obvious fact that this person has something that they're doing that is putting stress on their body in a way that they can't tolerate at the moment, right? Like to me, when I see like a power lifter and like every power lifter I've ever seen that has an MRI has the same like disc herniation, right? Like why do they have those disc herniations? It's not like, oh, they have a disc herniation, so let me treat them a certain way. It's like, what is it that they're doing that's putting pressure on these specific areas that, you know, we can make an impactful change on? Because if you change that, then the person's going to feel a lot better, you know, most of the time. But if we focus on things like medical diagnoses and, you know, treating a person like they're like, you know, whatever that diagnosis is, is where, where we kind of struggle as an industry. Yeah. You know, and I've talked about this on the podcast before that, that idea of, you know, building out your network is very important and we need to be able to feel confident and comfortable to share with our clients, you know, looking at them as a whole person and creating the people around you that can help in areas that you can't. But I think what happens a lot to trainers specifically, and I also think PTs too, is that they don't, they look at it in terms of, you know, oh, well, my PT said I can't train anymore. So then they don't want, the trainer doesn't want to send them to PT because the PT will say, Say, don't train you you can't work out anymore you can't train you can't lift so you know how can a trainer navigate you know how can a trainer start to build the type of you know what are some of the things that a trainer can be looking for both in symptoms of their page or of their of their client and also in in building good a good connection a good network with a physical therapist yeah, for sure. And just like, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, I see the same thing. Um, like, before COVID, I would train out of a crunch in my town, and I would literally hear the same trainer tell clients every day, like, don't waste your time going to a PT because they're going to just have you do this stretch, so just do this stretch. And in a way, like, he's kind of right, you know? Like, that's <laughs> typically, like, unfortunately, right? Like, that's typically what you're going to get. You're going to essentially just like, waste time not training, right? Um, but, like... <laughs> That's horrible to say as a physical therapist, but like I, I can totally like understand where this first person is coming from, right? And it goes the other way too, because it, I've seen physical therapists, right, who like, and again, this is just, I'm not trying to knock anyone, but like we have doctor in front of our name. And for some people, they think that means, you know, more than it does, right? Because what they're, what essentially happens is, you know, they, they take a person away from training when the, what that person really needs is not like, low-level exercises on a table. They need to know how to train in a way that's smart for them. So what that comes down to, to answer your original question, for a trainer trying to build a network, is one, obviously, like, um, you know, having a professional in your corner who understands what you do. Um, but also, you know, as a trainer, you have the ability to really impact a person. And it just comes down to how, I mean, when I say impact a person, I mean more than any medical professional, but in my opinion, because you are working with, these people every single day or multiple times a week um, and people love going to their trainers. So they're going to go having an assessment process to, to dictate the exercise selections that you're choosing for a person. is very, very important because you can at least identify why a person might have pain with a certain movement. 
and learning how to speak to a person um, about pain and not make it like this scary thing that we have to run away from, um, hugely important because that's the difference between a person being afraid to like lift their arm to get something out of the cabinet or a person being like, okay with, oh, that might hurt a little bit. Maybe I just modify it and like I'm able to, to complete my task. So as a trainer, you can learn all these skills, right? And you're not, you're not trying to become like an amateur clinician, but you are able to be a better trainer, right? Because that's going to put you in a position to help people more. And if you're not comfortable with those things, having someone like myself, right, who understands the training aspect of the training side of things. Um, and honestly, like when I look at what I do as a person, like I'm just basically like a glorified trainer, right? I just, I'm a trainer who has like doctor in front of my name. That's what I do. I just teach people how to train in a way that, that is sustainable for them. So having someone like that who can, um, you know, work with you collaboratively on a client uh, is, is hugely important because ultimately the goal is, is the client, right? And getting the client results and getting the client success. So from the client's perspective, if you have a person like that in your network, like to me, that's making you that much more valuable, you know, to, as a trainer. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. I feel like I just rambled there, but. <laughs> no, and it does too. And I, but you bring up a good point that I definitely want to expand upon. And I think that trainers could pay attention to this is that idea of pain. I think in that word pain, there's a lot of fear that is associated with that word pain. And I think that at the risk of, you know, and I think that trainers feel like I don't want to be an amateur clinician. I, maybe they're afraid of pain, you know, and maybe a client has trouble, you know, distinguishing the difference between pain and discomfort because they are different. So how, how do you recommend a trainer assess whether or not like, okay, you know, where, where is the line of pain for a trainer to pass over and say, this isn't for me? Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's, that's, a, that's a, probably a very good thing for a trainer to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I would say like one, if you can't like coach a person out of pain or you can't put them in a position or an exercise to um, achieve the same goal without a person being in a pain, then it's probably a sign that you need to look further. So what I mean by that is if like you're trying to um, get a person to back squat, but they just feel like a pinch in their hip every single time. If you can't coach them out of that or tell them like, hey, let's try like a goblet squat and that makes it go away, mm -hmm. then, you know, we're, we're okay, right? If you, can, if you can like attribute what they're feeling to the activity that they're doing. But if a person has stuff that's lingering, right, for, we're talking like weeks, months, some, I mean, some people have the same pain on and off for like years, it's, it's crazy. Um, like that's probably a sign that you need to be able to, to refer to someone that you trust who can help you figure this out, you know? And that's a lot of, honestly, like we, we do that, right? Like we have coaches in our area who like we consult with on clients because like we'll literally have them in the gym with their client and I'll be on a Zoom call with them like this, putting them through motions if I can't be there in person, right? Because it's sometimes it's just identifying what, what, stressor they have in their training that is currently causing them to be in pain and it's really just a simple like let's give them a different exercise to get them out of this and you know train that for a while to build them back up um so there's there's not really like too fine of a line um it's, it's more like if you can't coach them out of it like probably just find someone who can can help you figure that out but it's also important too right like to understand as a coach that like not all pain is is bad right not all pain is scary but how you frame it to a person might make it scary to them, right? It doesn't mean that there's injury. It doesn't mean that there's something like going on inside where we need to get an MRI. Cause I see that a lot is like a trainer will be afraid to, to, to coach a person who feels like low back pain. But the reality is, is like what person doesn't ever feel low back pain. So like as a trainer, like it's important to get comfortable 
like navigating those situations and learning exercise progressions and ways to assess to 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 take a you know pivot a person's program so that they can keep doing the things that they want to do um but also using language that's not like hey your back hurts you know what we got to get you an mri and maybe go see an orthopedic because there's probably something going on with the kids like you know like you see that jump a lot and like that that does a lot more harm than good because now you're planting that seed in a person's head like oh maybe like crap there's something going on on the inside that i don't know about yeah, but you also bring up a good point because I remember my, you know, my clients, gen pop or general population, they, if they felt low back pain, they were like, oh, I know this is bad or wrong. And you'd be like, wait a second, you got muscles back there. We still are, we're, we still got to work them. You're going to feel them. It's normal. <laughs> yeah, like this is okay, right? Just making, <laughs> yeah, it's different, right? Or like even too, right? So say someone does a new activity, right? With their trainer. And they wake up the next day and their back is like super stiff. Yeah. Like that sucks, but it's happened to all of us. It still happens to me sometimes. Right. Like, and you know, I'm pretty good at like identifying what an appropriate like activity for a person is. Yes. Uh, like, how do you navigate that conversation? Like, Oh crap. You know what? That's good information for me. That's a data point for me now. Like that's just too much volume. Right. So don't get freaked out. Or maybe we like tuck your hips too, too much on that one. You know? So we just, one bad rep or you did one rep too many or you did one rep too heavy right that's it's gonna happen but good thing humans are resilient we can bounce back like the, the like the likelihood of a bad injury happening from that is very very low because if it was a bad injury you would have known like in the moment so we just did a little too much in, of the wrong things you know next time we know let's not do that much or do something a little different you know yes yes for sure okay so you know, and I'm also curious because you've talked a lot about the the assessment and how you spend a lot, you know, you spend a lot of time assessing your clients or your patients rather. Do you, how often do you assess? Is it one of those like one and done? Are you assessing every time that you work together? Is there like, what is your process for assessing? Sure. Um, so I work in the realm of people with injuries and pain. So for me, um, I am assessing um, because that's going to dictate what activity I think the person needs to do or where I need to take the program. Um, I, in the moment, will reassess them on the measures that I think are important because I would expect those things to get better on the spot. Not saying they're going to stay better forever, but the, I choose my exercises based on the assessment. So if my assessment is not improving, then I gave them the wrong exercise. So I have to pivot. Mm -hmm. So I base the decisions on then what I do with a person's training program based on, on that. So I'm going to assess, like a typical client, for example, who comes to us, I don't really see people like session to session. I typically see them for a session and then I program for them. And then we have a follow-up in like two weeks for follow-up in a month or whatever it might be. Um, so the assessment is going to kind of really vary on that. But I know at least that the activities I gave them because I retested them right away are the right types of things. And if things don't go the right way, I'm in constant communication, you know, so I can kind of adjust on the fly. Um, but ideally, I'm assessing every single time I see a person. Um, for a trainer, right, what, what they could probably do is have maybe one or two meaningful tests that they can use to test, retest within a session. Because ideally, right, the, the exercises you're choosing for a person should make a ton of sense for that person, whether it's their anatomy, whether it's their anatomy, their training goals, like all these things, um, you can make better decisions. And you should see those tests literally improve. So, like, for example, if you use, like, um, a person's ability to squat deep as one of your tests. I would expect the activities that you choose or the exercises that you put in a program, uh, a person's program to improve that. So at the end of the session, they should be able to squat deeper without 
feeling uncomfortable or without feeling pain. And if they're not, then that tells me either the exercises were wrong, you didn't coach it correctly, or the person had no idea what they were doing and they couldn't perform or execute the, the activity well enough. Um, so those are kind of like the thought processes that, that, I, that I go through. So the assessment to me is kind of everything because um, it's going to dictate, you know, the, the way that we, we train a client. So, okay, that's great. So also kind of a follow-up to that question is, you know, you've mentioned that you train or you work a lot with people who are, we let's call them active. So they're, they might not necessarily be, you know, avid athletes or have an athletic background in terms of sport performance, but they are the type of people that are very active. They love to run or they love to do their, you know, yoga and, and they get hurt, right? Do you think, and you spend a lot of time getting them to perform back to their performance, performance space for lack of a better word. But is there ever a time then in their rehab process that you slow it down and you do some of the low, low impact activity? Like how long are you spending in the, at the very beginning? Sure. Um, so obviously this depends, um, client client to client 100 percent. and i can give you an example of someone that we just we just started working with um this person sent me a video he's a someone who is aspiring to be an olympic lifter mm-hmm. and he has been training with a coach on olympic lifting and on his off days he does his own his own programming he sent me a video after uh, a week a week after he had a heavy squat session and he looked like uh like a 90 year old dude getting off the couch for the first time in weeks like this kid is like, he's like 25 years old or something. Like nobody should be in that kind of of pain. Right. So for him, what we did is it was literally like two, I don't even know if I call them low level exercises. I always call them like core exercises because people relate, relate to that. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, I gave him two of those like lower level core exercises and that took the pressure out of his back. And literally his program was training. I'm like, here's what you're doing. Here's what I think we need to go with your training program. So on your days, he's still Olympic lifting. So on those days where you're not Olympic lifting, this is what you need to do so that you are able to stay out of pain and still be able to train at the level you want to train at. So you have to be able to adjust kind of like your your day-to-day routine to support your end goal, which is performance-based, right? So your lifestyle needs to reflect that. Your training on those off days needs to reflect that. Um, so for him, it was really, he does like two low-level exercises a day, and then he's training at that point, just in a way that's nice for him. Um, for other people, like if you have a yoga person, you know, maybe for them, it's how do we modify your, your yoga moves so you can, I don't know what they're called, poses, your yoga poses, <laughs> yoga moves, you can tell I'm doing a lot of yoga. <laughs> um, but <laughs> like, how do I, how do I modify your, the activities you're doing so you can do them, right? It doesn't have to look like a low level activity, but at the same time, I use those low level activities with people. It's just the, the volume of those, it, it really depends. You know, because people have specific goals. So um, I try to not have a person on a treatment table if I don't think they want to be on a treatment table or they tell me that they'd rather be up and moving and doing stuff. So do you think then it is possible? Because I think that this run, you know, a lot of people run into this too, which is that they have someone who need, who in their mind think they think, oh, this person needs to slow down or they're going to get hurt. But they're like, no, I'm obsessed with Barry's Bootcamp or Orange Theory. And I'm just going to go, 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 go. Do you, do you think that it's possible then for them to train them in that way without hurting them? Uh. Potentially, yes, but also no. 
Um, <laughs> well, <yeah>. so, <laughs> what do you do with that type of person? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, and we have someone like that, um, actually pre-COVID, uh, who was someone who literally trained six days a week at Orange Theory. And I am not knocking Orange Theory at all, but I don't think that that type of training, which is very, very high intensity, is sustainable for the majority of people in this world. Um, because essentially what we need, right, is in order to improve, we need to apply a stress. We need to apply in a way that um, gets us to our goal. But we also need the ability to recover from that, that stress because ultimately what we want to do is take our set point as a human and make it higher, right, to be able to get better at that whatever performance measure it is. Um, so what happens with a lot of people, especially if in that, and I'm not picking on Orange Theory, but I'm just using it because that's the example that came up. Um, and this person did do orange, was at Orange Theory is essentially what happens is you're just accumulating stress that your body probably isn't able to recover from. Uh, and that's when stuff starts to hurt. And a lot of times too, it's the repetitive motions. You're doing the same types of movement over and over and over again. So the likelihood that your body is going to stress certain areas over and over and over again um, is pretty high. So what I would do with a person like that is, um, is one, on an intuitive level, they need to be able to understand that. Like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's meeting them uh, where they're at as a human being um, in their knowledge base and all that type of stuff. But two, it's um, giving them something that they can do to, to, to fill that void that still makes them, you know, feel like they're active in training. Because the, the reality is, is there's a reason why they feel they need to go do these high intensity exercises every single day. For some people, it might be like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like stress relief, right? For some people, it might be like they had success with like losing a ton of weight doing that and they don't want to like go back to doing that. So like finding what that deeper meaning is for a person and then relating what I think it is they need to do back to that is, is usually uh, how I can get a person to buy in on those types of things. Um, that is such an important part that I feel like most trainers miss, which is that they want, you have to be able to uncover the why they're working like that. Because just like you're saying, there is a level of diminishing returns at some point in any type of training program. And for the record, you know, Orange Theory is not set up to come. I mean, I guess it depends on the Orange Theory, but it's not one of those programs that they're saying, come do this six times a week. They don't want that. It's just one component of a, of a strength training program. So that is a really key, a key ingredient in your assessment is finding out why they are, why are they doing that? Why, why are you doing it? Yeah. And listen, it's not just trainers too. It's, it's PTs. Like yeah. if you're a PT or a doctor or an orthopedic surgeon or whoever, and you tell a runner to stop running, like you already lost them. Because, like, there's literally no runner in the world that's going to stop running, right? That's not the – you're not going to be able to help that person. So it's, like, understanding, like, the why, right, behind why, why it is they feel they need to keep doing what they're doing at the same level they're doing is, is a huge, huge component, you know. And I think, like, like, I don't know what the principle's called, like, the 80-20 rule, right, Fritos principle. Um, you get, like, 80% of what I already know I'm going to do with a person, I get just from having, like, a conversation like this with them and figuring out how to tease out like the information that I need to make a, help them make sound decisions with whatever it is they're trying to, to do. Um, and that's something that gets, that gets lost a lot in um, training, but even I think more so in the medical world, because people are like, like you have doctors who are making snap like judgments about like your future in five minutes of meeting you. And like, they're literally recommending like 
invasive procedures, surgeries, and MRIs, and things that are probably unnecessary, you know, at first glance, you know, when you're working with a person, um, when they really could be delving deeper into a situation and understanding what, you know, is going on with the person that is making them feel like they need to do what it is that they're doing, because um, then you can make better decisions, right, about how to help them. Mm, that's such a good point. We talk about this in the mom world all the time, right? That six-week checkup of, hey, you're you're good to go. It's an arbitrary number, and that's just something that is standardized in the medical field. Like, and I, I'll never forget. I was, you know, I was my doctor without even doing an internal exam said, yeah, you're good to go. And I said, really, I just had massive surgeries six weeks. <laughs> good to go doing what I was doing before, like that's just arbitrary, right? And I, you know, and you also have pelvic floor physical therapists who will tell a mom who has a prolapse, like, okay, you're never picking up your baby again. You can't tell that to a mom. That's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your fix there, right? Is like teach them how to, to pick up their baby in a way that's like safe, right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's, but that's unfortunately like, you see that that type of thinking and rationale, like I call it rationale. It's not even a rationale. I don't know what it is, but like you see that more often than not. And it leads to literally like I've seen like people have life changing surgeries because of mis medical mismanagement. And that's a scary thing to me. I mean, it's very scary. And I was going down that path, not necessarily surgery, but like I had people making decisions about or helping me to make decisions about my health that, you know, really didn't take into account all the things that I wanted to do. Like I had doctors trying to help me with my life who have never like trained hard one day. They've never run, you know, even a mile. And I'm telling them my goal is to run 13 again. Like that's literally what I want to do. And they're trying to help me get there, but they can't because they literally don't understand these things. I'm trying to, to, to tell them they can't understand, you know, like why it is important to me. Um, yeah. I think it comes from two things, right? I think it comes from, because I see this happen a lot, you know, for trainer, with trainers, especially young ones that are new ones that are trying to build businesses is that they are just so inundated with volume in terms of the amount of sessions or the amount of people that they're seeing that they are forgetting to reset and remember that they are talking to a human that they're not a number. It's not just another kickoff. It's not just another strategy session. And while you have been doing a million of them in your mind, this person is the, it's the first time you're sitting down with this human being. And I think the same thing happens to medical profession professionals and PTs because, you know, they're human too. So I think sometimes it has to do with the amount of volume that they're seeing. Yeah, that, that totally is 100% true. And um, like, I would struggle. This is why I also run AMP the way that I run AMP, because like, you could be the best trainer, you could be the best medical professional, the best doctor, the best PT. But if you can't, like, literally, I would have patients coming in every single 20 minutes, all day in a 12 hour day, like I'm seeing 30 people in a day, there's like, literally, no way I can be effective, no matter how good I am, or think I am, or, or whatever. Right. I'm going to like maybe the first couple of people, they're going to get me at my best and then I'm shot. And then like, good luck, you know, like at that point, right. You don't want to be the per like my 26th person on that day. So right. like for me, like I couldn't be successful in that setting. And I don't honestly think anyone can. It's not fair. You're, you're kind of set up for failure. Right. This is the reason like we literally get people who are excited because I call them back when I say I'm going to call them back or I text them when I say I'm going to text them because they're so used to like a doctor like not returning a phone call for a week. Like 
and that sucks. Like, I'm sure that doctor doesn't want that to be the situation, you know, because he signed on to help people, right? That's like ultimately, like, I would imagine what most people get into being a physical therapist or a medical professional or a trainer for to help people. And now you can't literally call a person back and help them because you have so many other people that you're trying to, to manage, you know, wild world. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And we're human beings. And the other component too, that you're, that you were talking about is that, you know, people are taught to trust authorities on blind faith, right? On blind faith, just because it says you're a doctor or just because someone said it, right? Then, and sometimes they don't know, you know, people don't know what they don't know. So it's not like they can know what to ask you or they know how to, how to navigate their situation. They're just taught to blindly trust because what else is there, right? Which is why being a trainer is such a powerful position because we are oftentimes the first line of defense. Always, yeah. Because we won't, we, and that's something, you know, that one of my mentors, Brianna Battles used to say all the time is, is that because people don't know that what they don't know. But if we, as, as, you know, fitness professionals can look at a situation and help people have clarity on what it is that they're going through, that is one of the most powerful things we can do for someone. Yeah, I 100% uh, agree with you. Um, and it's interesting you say that. I had my, uh, one of my good friends referred his father to me, uh, it's like last week or two weeks ago. And this friend of mine is a trainer. He's a very, very, very good personal trainer. Um, and the thing his dad said to me was so interesting. He was like, I just wish that my son like felt that he was able to do what you're like doing with me because literally you're helping me train, right? My son can do this. And I'm like, he can definitely do this. He just doesn't have like the confidence to do it, right? He doesn't have the ability to do it uh, or he doesn't think he has the ability to do it, but he 100% does because the same things I was recommending for his dad, his son was recommending for him, right? Like I'm not doing anything special, but I have doctor in front of my name. You know, so this person who is a good friend of mine and a trainer, like thought that I was a better person to, to help him out. And maybe I was because I'm not a family member, you know, so it's hard to work with family members. <laughs> yeah, there's that nuance too. Yeah, for sure. But, but like, I never thought of it from that perspective. But when his dad said that to me, he's like, I wish that he would just um, have the confidence to, to, you know, realize the position that he's in to help people because he essentially can do it, right? He can help people make better decisions about their health, which is essentially what I do, right? And mm -hmm. it's what every trainer can do. They just need to, to be confident that they can do it and have an assessment process that helps them get to, you know, a point where they can make those decisions or help a person make those decisions about themselves. Yeah. And I think it goes, and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier in that sense of like, you don't need to be afraid if you have that assessment in place and then you know what to look for and you have those benchmarks where you're saying, okay, this is persistent. It's time to now delegate it out. I think that having that assessment and having those benchmarks can be what gives you that confidence because then you'll feel competent. You'll hundred percent. Yeah. Like that's the, like you said, the first, first line of defense, right? Like I always look at it as I'm trying to make like clients of AMP, <coughs> you know, not be clients of AMP. Like I want them to not be like a victim of like the medical system and victim such a horrible word to use, but like, I don't want them to get thrown into that like vicious cycle where they're like not getting answers and they're going from person to person and trying to like figure out and rationalize why they're always injured or hurt. A trainer can do those, those things right? You just need to have a way to assess it. You need to have a way to make 
you know, actionable decisions and, you know, put your client in the best position to, you know, succeed essentially. And to me, that always comes back to how you assess a person, how you do your intakes, how you're, you know, understanding the person on a, on a human level. So good. Okay. So I definitely want to be mindful of your time, but I think that and especially because you have given us so many really awesome nuggets to, to ponder. And I think one of the obvious questions now has become, okay, well, what next? And if that's the case, you know, where can I learn or where can I find out more about the type of assessment I could be putting together? Sure thing. Um, so uh, what we are going to be doing on September 17th is the date. So we are hosting a free webinar. Um, where we are going to literally teach the assessment that we use at AMP. Um, you're going to walk away literally knowing exactly what we do. So this is for people who are personal trainers, um, who have clients, who have, I mean, pretty much every client you probably work with, right? Who has some kind of nagging injury, nagging stiffness, nagging pain, and they can't seem to make it go away. This is for clinicians, right? We have a lot of young PTs who DM me questions all the time and student physical therapists. Um, this is a good uh, time for you to learn exactly how we use the assessment process that we do to dictate what we are going to do with a person so that they can actually get results and not get thrown into uh, a medical system that probably won't be able to help them or give them solutions that are going to keep them feeling uncomfortable and in pain. Uh, and this is also for your like gen pop person, right? Your person who just wants to understand how they can make better decisions of what they're doing in the gym so that they are not hurt all the time or not feeling like crap all the time so they don't have to pay me money to help them figure these things out. I'm literally going to just teach it to you for free so you can, can make better decisions. I love that. Okay. And of course, we're going to link all of that in the show notes so that if you are interested in learning more about that, you'll know exactly where to go. And also, so thank you so much for this. It's been really awesome. Where are oh, my pleasure? Where are you hanging out? Where can I send people to learn more about you? Um, sure. So we are most active on Instagram. Our handle is um, amp underscore performance underscore rehab. Um, you can email me at any time. It's Sean, F-H-A-U-N at ampperformancerehab.com. Um, and then Facebook, we are also active on Facebook. Um, yeah, Amp Performance Rehab. You can probably find us there as well. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today, Sean. Uh, Beverly, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.